Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit Toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about Manscaped. And guys, 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of our control. But there's one thing that you can control, and that's shaving below the belt. And our sponsors over at Manscaped are here to remind you to do just that with the best product out there, the Lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof, comes with an LED light so you can shower in or you can shave in the shower, you can shave in the dark, you can shave in a dark shower anywhere you want to go, you can use this because it has a 90 minute battery, will last forever. So make sure to check out the Lawnmower 3.0. I know it's a personal favorite around DNVR. And you can also check out their newly released Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is a perfect add on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. The, the Shears 2.0 nail kit helps you pluck some eyebrows, helps you with your nails, helps you keep everything looking crisp. So make sure to check out Manscaped. I, of course, recommend the Perfect Package 3.0, which comes with the Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver, a travel bag, disposable shaving mats, fantastic products all in that Perfect Package 3.0, and of course, the Lawnmower 3.0. So not only can you get all these products, but our listeners get 20% off and free shipping with the code DNVR at manscaped.com. That's 20% off your entire purchase with free shipping at manscaped.com and use that code DNVR20. All right, Mason, let's hop into the show. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high, the best part of the in a perfect stranger as they become a friend having a good time when the orange and blue W-I-N tuning in every day with the good folks down at DNVR welcome 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 into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this wonderful Wednesday edition I'm your host Zach Stevens joined by my main man Andrew Mason and before we hop into the show I gotta tell you about MSU Denver Online. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. We have a couple people at DNVR in fact taking classes online at MSU Denver and what they say is they teach you exactly what you need to know for the real world there's no bs there's no messing around they prepare you for the real world and that's what school's supposed to be about and the other thing 
is it's flexible and affordable. So make sure to go to MSU Denver, msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer, including over 40 online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. So check them out, msudenver.edu slash online. My boy, Mace, how's it going on this hump day? Not too bad. You know, there's something really nice about sitting here in the 10 o'clock hour in my office and being able to look up and see a live sporting event. Right now, I've got the Islanders-Florida Panthers game on as the Islanders are trying to close out the Panthers in the opening round of the, of the Stanley Cup playoffs, as it were, the qualifying round or whatever we're calling it. It's just a reminder of how nice it is to actually have sports, actual games, actual on-field things to talk about. Although, as we're going to get into in the podcast, we are not quite free of talking about what sports were during the pandemic. Yeah. At least what got people talking about sports during, the, pan- during the, the months of the pandemic in which everything was shut down. Yes, you're certainly right, Mason. Man, it, we, we waited so long. We were in such a drought. Now you can watch some playoff hockey at 10.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. So we're, we, we are getting the benefit of having sports shut down. And, of course, no one wanted that. But now we can live in it. August, September, going to be filled of sports, at least supposed to be. Supposed to be. Hopefully it holds up. But, uh, of course, one thing on the backside of this is that we're going to see the next seasons for for the NHL and the NBA start later than usual. So, there's going to be a little bit of a fallow period potentially where the only thing that could be going on is football. Yes. In November. Yeah, that that would be, uh, of course, we would love that. Just more spotlight for Mason and I. And, of course, we never turn down the spotlight, right? (laughs) Uh, We'll see. Sometimes we do. (laughs) One person that's always in the spotlight, Mace, especially when it comes to the Denver Broncos, is Vaughn Miller. We talked to him yesterday, and boy, he's always in the spotlight, but yesterday was his day to shine, wasn't it? It was. I wouldn't say we talked to him. I'd say we listened to him more than anything. <laughs> That's right. But uh, yeah, we, we, we were on a, a media conference call with him yesterday, and uh, the reason why I talk about what sports were during the shutdown is that a key part of Von Miller and his various soliloquies that he had in answering questions was to talk about the last dance. Of course, the documentary that aired in April and May on ESPN and uh, had the sports world riveted when there was nothing going on in the sports world. And Vaughn was talking about his off season. He said, Hey, it started off normally. He went to the super bowl. He was working out in San Francisco, but then mentioned, Hey, his, Normal offseason, he goes to the Kentucky Derby. He goes to Coachella. He you know, basically is a, a man about the country and a man about the world. Couldn't do that. Couldn't do these things. Then the last dance came out, and this is what he said. I watched what Michael Jordan was doing back in his prime, and I asked myself, Michael Jordan was the best that ever played. Was I really making that commitment to the game? Was, he, was I really doing the same things that he did? Kobe Bryant, he addressed him as well, 
course, because he died in January. It was one of the best that ever played. Was I really doing the things that Kobe was doing? When I, was I demanding more out of my teammates? Was I demanding more out of myself? I looked in the mirror and said I wasn't. I just tried to change that and work as hard as I possibly could. I didn't take any days off, didn't go on any vacations. I didn't do anything but work out, grind, and reinvest all the time that I would usually spend on endorsements. I just reinvested that time back into myself, unquote. So, so there are a couple interesting things. Now, one reason why I was disappointed that I did not uh, get chosen to ask a question of Von Miller, as he had some long answers and uh, they went through other members of the media. One of the reasons why is I was going to ask him about these comments about reinvesting in yourself and taking your work to another level in the context of Vic Fangio mentioning last week that, you know, maybe Von Miller of the last few years wasn't all that Von Miller could be. Yeah. Yep. And that's what I was, that's what I would have really been curious to hear. And alas, you'll have to wait. Pretty clear that Von Miller agrees with Vic Fangio because he said, was I doing everything that I could just like Jordan and Kobe did? No, I wasn't. So he took, his game to, uh, or he took his off season to a new level. And Mace, I think what's important uh, for me to preface before starting this conversation is funny enough on Monday night, I had a friend send me a picture of Von Miller looking like Von Miller typically does just absolutely ripped shredded looking like, you know, the, the perfect body for an athlete. And he said, wow, I'm not counting Von Miller out this year. And my response to him was, Vaughn always looks like that. Vaughn always looks like the ideal human being, especially a pass rusher. If you were to build a pass rusher, he would look like Vaughn. You know, he has quads that, that pop over his kneecap. All of his muscles just look amazing. So my response to him was, well, that doesn't really change anything for me. Funny enough, about 12 hours later, Tuesday morning, we talked to him. And I believe, I'm a believer now, Mace. I believe that that Vaughn is on a different level and it's not it's not because of the way he looks because he always looks amazing uh but it's this mindset that he has this was a different Vaughn Miller than I've talked to in, in many many years and I truly believe that this could be a different Vaughn Miller this year I'm not I'm not worried anymore about what if he has single single sacks uh again this year and follows that follows last season up with that again. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, I'm not worried about it either. I, I thought he was going to bounce back even before this, but the question is how far does he bounce back? Hearing that, there's a couple of things. Number one, he, you see him talk, him talk about what motivated him, and we've seen the pictures of – how he of how he looks after working out he went back out to san francisco after he had covid-19 and he was running the steps and he was doing a lot of those rigorous things that the quote unquote trainer from hell had him doing <laughs> but the interesting thing is that i i do wonder you know as he watched the last dance kind of the specifics of 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 what he took from it because he talked about making his teammates better and that's where it gets into the leadership side of it. Now, Von Miller, does he have the same kind of personality as, say, DeMarcus Ware or Peyton Manning, leaders that he's been around? No. It's a different kind of personality. 
but maybe the leadership that Von Miller provides, in addition to just being somebody that pretty much everybody likes in that locker room because he's just a good, funny dude, is leading by example. The whole thing of, okay, this, this is the level at which I'm going to work. We've seen indications of Von Miller being a, a good leader in, in terms of his position group. Like Shaq Barrett will talk for hours if, if you let him about all that Von Miller did for him, all that Von taught him when they were in those pass rush drills and they're kind of standing next to each other and they're waiting for their, their turn to come again. And he's showing him some moves and so forth. And it's not a coincidence that Shaq Barrett went down Tampa Bay and wore number 58. There's a little bit of a tribute going on to his, to his mentor and uh, to his, his elder former teammate, but leading by example kind of expands beyond your position group, beyond the guys kind of in that small meeting room. It goes to the defense and then goes to the entire team. And it's a manner in which Champ Bailey led. Champ was not a vocal leader, but he led by example. And I think Von Miller, in terms of recommitting himself to the work he's doing, is positioning himself to be that guy who leads by example. Yeah, and one thing that I liked is I got the idea that he's going to lead by his voice as well a little more than he has in the past. He said – one thing that Michael said in the last dance was he would never ask his teammates something that he wasn't doing already or that he wasn't willing to do. So Vaughn leading by example, doing everything right and maybe going the extra mile. But then he's also going to take a little bit after MJ. And then if he's doing something and his teammates aren't doing it, he's going to demand that out of them and maybe get on them a little bit. And I love this because Mace, everyone loves Von Miller fans, media, uh, all of his teammates. There's no one that doesn't like him. And Von's house has been the hangout place for years and years and years. And one of the awesome things is Von invites rookies over. You know, even just last year, he's inviting rookies over. He's becoming best friends with rookies. He's not uh, doing what Chris Harris did and saying, I'm not learning that guy's number until he makes the team. No, Von is so nice but from a leadership standpoint if you're just the nice guy then you're never going to get on people and that's kind of what Vaughn admitted that he he hasn't been that type of guy in the past and he said that's going to change in fact he said I've got to cut down on sauce Vaughn the Don which is of course I believe his uh his DJ nickname doing the silly stuff that Vaughn does and I've got to become more of a leader like Kobe and Jordan. I mean, man, it, not only are you getting a Vaughn that works harder uh, and, that, and that is going to demand more out of his teammates, but you get this leader, uh, this difference maker. And so people may be saying, he's 31. He's entering year 10. Is he really going to change? That's something that Vaughn emphasized too. He said, it's never too late to change. So Right now, I'm a believer. I believe it. Okay, it's never too late to change, but if you're going to lead, you've got to be true to your personality. And this is one thing. Like, I don't think there are aspects of Michael Jordan's leadership that I want to see Von Miller emulate. Okay, like? Well, just grinding teammates down to where – their, their confidence goes from being the length of a pencil to the size of the eraser at one end of it. Right. I don't want to see Von Miller take a, a younger teammate. Like, 
let's let's say someone he'd, he'd go against. I, I don't want to see Vaughn Miller turn Elijah Wilkinson into Scotty Burrell. Fair? Where, where, absolutely, and, where he just beats and him I don't on the think field and he, berates him. Right, and I don't think he will because there. I don't. That's not part of Vaughn's personality. And the thing is, if he takes that approach, that competitiveness to the extreme, to where you're you're grinding on guys to the point where at that moment some of those guys hate you, that's not Vaughn Miller. And and I think that's kind of the line that that needs that needs to be drawn. Michael Jordan was a competitor, but one thing that if you could say as a negative about Michael Jordan is that he couldn't switch it off against his teammates, against those guys that ultimately he'd be relying on the guys that were in the huddle on game night. He, he had that sort of competitiveness in practice and, and some players would just be shredded emotionally and mentally as a result of that. I don't want to see Von Miller do that. And you know what? I don't think he will because, again, that's not his personality. He doesn't have the same personality as, as Michael Jordan. He doesn't have the same personality as Peyton Manning. I think the things that I hope Von Miller takes are the ones that he will take as far as being willing to, to put that extra effort in, to never going in without being prepared beyond imagination. And the, the thing is, I think – it's not only from maybe, maybe watching The Last Dance crystallized it for him, but I think he can also look back at some of the guys that he's been around, like Peyton and DeMarcus. Right, right. And, and specifically DeMarcus, because he spent so much time around him. DeMarcus was loved in the locker room, but when needed, DeMarcus would also flip a switch. And like you're saying, Mace, MJ, he was kind of always like that. You know, hard to be best friends with MJ especially when he demands the most out of you every single second. I don't think Vaughn is going to become Kobe or MJ in terms of his personality and his leadership, but a little more of that would be very good because this defense has lost a lot of leaders uh, on that side of the ball. Now, of course, you've got some in recent years, uh, Kareem, uh, and now you're hoping A.J. Boye, Jarrell Casey, but Vaughn's supposed to be the guy, the leader, the guy with the captain, the the C patch on his chest and you you need to have at times that type of guy be able to get on people and that's just what I'm hoping and I, I I'm remembering one moment where I saw this Von Miller it was a couple of years ago um, in the locker room Von was coming in from a workout and he said Shaq and Shane were were just sitting in the locker room he said Shaq and Shane let's go we're gonna go do like 20 minutes of abs or something like that. And Shaq was, or I think Shane was like, nah, we're not doing that. And I saw Vaughn crack. He said, no, we're doing this right now. Get, get your shoes on. And then, so Shane threw some, uh, some like Adidas slides on kind of like slippers. And Vaughn said, no, this is serious. Put shoes on. And they did it. They left and they were back in 25 minutes. And that's what you want to see. That's what I want to see more of where those guys still love him, but he, he snapped when he wanted to do something and he was demanding them to do what he was doing. Just like he said, MJ did. I think you need that a little more. And I think that's, that's what Vaughn is saying he's going to be. And I think that's great. Well, what's interesting is obviously Shane rain got the message over the years because in some of those videos that he's posted, Shane is working out with Vaughn. Yeah. 
over on that uh, on that hill in San Francisco. The other thing that the leadership I think will reveal itself in is in is in off the field stuff. He talked about how a few years ago he said, "quote I felt like I should have I could have t- stood taller with Kaepernick at the time." I felt like I could have supported Kaepernick a lot better at the time. I apologize for not being a stronger leader for Kaepernick at the time, unquote. He felt like he, he mentioned Brandon Marshall, who, of course, kneeled at the same time as uh, Colin Kaepernick did back, back in 2016 and felt like he could offer more support to those guys. And remember, Von Miller was one of the players who did speak at the rally in June in downtown Denver at Civic Center Park and then marched with his teammates through downtown. So, you know, leadership on this team is going to take on some different forms than it would have in past years. And I know not everyone's going to want to hear this, but on the social justice side, I think that's something that Von Miller appears to be conscientious about. He said he's reached out to Justin Simmons about asking, hey, uh, what can he do? What, what, what more can, can I do here? And Leading in that area is is all is going to underscore his leadership in the locker room as well, and you know, may, and I think it's only going to help him on the field. I don't know if it's going to result in in a, in a league MVP, a defensive player of the year type of season, but I think it's going to help Vaughn Miller maybe shed some of the perceptions of underachieving of the last few years. Sure, certainly. And and I think the message surrounding all that social justice stuff this year, Mace, is going to be unity. And I think Vaughn's going to be at, at the forefront of that. Joe Ellis, of course, last week said um, that he supports no matter what his players do. That wasn't necessarily the exact same message from the organization a few years ago when Brandon Marshall was doing that. So uh, in terms of that, in, in a broader scope than just Vaughn Miller, I would be very shocked if the entire team wasn't either taking a knee or doing something during the national anthem. Uh, but, but I guess that's something we'll find out in, in a couple of weeks. So Mace. Rest in peace. Everyone's social media mentions, <laughs> yes. including ours. Oh, abs- absolutely. Uh, so Mace, what, what has changed about your viewpoint of Vaughn this season on the field because I am more confident that that he's going to have a better season this year. Has that changed for you at all? Well, I think it's it's changed for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's going to have Bradley Chubb for a whole season, and even though even though Vaughn and Chubb weren't getting the sacks early in the season, Chubb was coming close, and the entire defense was kind of struggling to grasp what Vic Fangio wanted early. I think. If Chubb and Miller had been together over the course of the season, Vaughn would have ended up with more sacks, and Chubb would have had a very good year as well. So I expect that they're going to help each other. I expect Jarrell Casey on the interior is going to create more opportunities for Vaughn Miller because now all of a sudden you can't, you're not going to be able to, to simply double the edges and take your chances one-on-one in the interior. You have guys like Jarrell Casey – Draymond Jones, who I expect to take the next step this year, that are going to be disruptive in the interior pass rush. So I think those are going to help Vaughn Miller as well. The other thing, I think it's a little bit on on Vic Fangio here. I know that he wants to play Vaughn 85, 90% of the snaps. I think Vic 
is learning more about what about the players he has and what they do best. And I think maybe Vic will trust his rotation a little bit more and give Vaughn Miller some breathers and make sure that make sure that you're getting full speed Vaughn when he's out there. So I think that we'll end up seeing Vic Fangio be a bit more judicious in his use of Vaughn Miller and make sure that he's out there for those high leverage pass rush snaps and gets a breather at the appropriate times. And I think that's going to help him too. And there's no reason not to, right, Mace? Now people may be saying, wait, 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 just a couple of days ago, uh, Zach was saying maybe Bradley Chubb is 100% once the week one comes around, but Bradley Chubb is only playing 80% of the snaps that Vic Fangio would typically like him to. Now you're saying maybe Vaughn should only play 80% of the snaps. Let's say that is the case, Mace, and both of those guys are playing 80% of the snaps that Vic Fangio would want, which is important because Vic Fangio wants these guys playing about 90%. Let's say both of these guys are at 75%. But when they're playing, they're, they're at 100%. But they're playing 75% of the defensive snaps. Is that okay? Does one of them need to take uh, more of a step than the other? Or are you okay with 25% of the time neither of these guys is on the field? I'm fine with, I, I'm fine with it. Although I think what you do is you shuffle it up to make sure that one of them is on the field all the time. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that well. you can go back through past rotations and see how that works. That's something that's pretty easy. That, that, that's pretty easy to do. If you really, if you really want to, I just, I, I look at uh, Von Miller last year and this, and then this year, of course, we know that he's in great shape, but you also want to make sure that you are maximizing his reps. And he is on the other side of 30. He's in great shape, but he's still on the other side of 30. We discussed on an earlier podcast as guys get into their age 31 seasons and beyond how difficult it is to reach that 14 sack level. It's something that is rare since the sack became an official stat in 1982. So you have to be mindful of his age. You have to be mindful of his condition and you have to make sure that you're getting the best Vaughn and you're getting the best Vaughn for the snaps when you need him the most. Yeah. So yep. you got, you know what you got second and five. Uh, give a talk to a snap. It's okay. Totally agree. Won't be the end of the world. And Jerry Atachu showed that he could perform well, you know, give Malik reader, Derek Tuska some work. Maybe if Justin Hollins steps up as more of an edge, give him snaps, give him some snaps. You've got some options here. I totally, totally agree with you, Mace, because what you want is let's say you are fighting for the playoffs. You're, you're in a division race, dare I say week 12, week 13, 14, 15. And, uh, you have worn down Vaughn Miller. He's in fantastic shape, but he's played 92% of the snaps all season. And instead of him being 100%, he's at 85%. That's, that's not what you want. You want Vaughn Miller as close to 100% for the entire season, especially at the end of the season, because as we all believe, they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. That's why I'm okay with 75 80% for Vaughn. That is oh. K and wouldn't be a concern for me because you need these guys ready for, for the end of the season. Yeah. And I know Vic Fangio's trend over the years has been to 
to, to play guys to the, their maximum. I get that. But Vic is also somebody who learns about the talent he has. It's one reason why, for example, in San Francisco and in Chicago, his defenses gradually got better over the time that he was there. So part of that is learning what you have. Part of that is personnel. I think Vic has a better idea of what he has now after being it for a season, and he's going to use it to its maximum effectiveness. I mean, Vic is a, Vic is a smart coach. And Vic is willing to adjust. That is one thing that we've seen. I think he, I think he'll do that. Yep, I, I agree with you, Mason. Man, I am pumped now to see Von Miller. And I haven't really said that that this year, but man, he he got me pumped to see him in just a few weeks. And speaking of long waits finally being over, golf's first major of the year is this weekend. And the golfers are headed to San Francisco to tee off and compete for the crown. And there's no better way to join in on the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to celebrate golf's first major of the year, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering special odds and promotions all weekend long. And all new users get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 every day of the tournament this weekend. DraftKings Sportsbook is boosting your profits by 30%. All you have to do is opt in and place a bet. So head to the app right now. Check out all they have to offer, including opting in. They also have player props, day-by-day action, and even hole-by-hole live betting. And as football season is clear in sight and Von Miller is getting close to on the field, DraftKings Sportsbook has rolled out a season-long football pick'em pool with over $2 million in prizes up for grabs. So make your picks and watch the games unfold and get those winnings. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can withdraw and deposit the funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with the sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Just enter the code DNVR when you sign up, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. You know, my DraftKings pick of the week came in once again, of course, because I bet on the Braves to uh, hit the over in terms of strikeouts against Mets pitcher Jacob deGrom on <laughs> Monday night. So that's three in a row. but. I really need a beer after that game. Not because Jacob DeGrom, not just because Jacob DeGrom uh, struck out my side into the double digits, but also because my team lost Mike Soroka. It's ace for the season. And also that means that one of my DraftKings picks is not going to work out because I said, hey, take a flyer on Mike Soroka as the Cy Young winner. Well, Mike Soroka is not going to be available probably until next June because he tore his Achilles. I need a drink. I need a beer. I need a strawberry Scott to take the edge off, to make me feel a little bit better. And, hey, thank you, Breckenridge Brewery. Thank you for creating Strawberry Sky because I'm a fruit beer guy, and that suits me well. Breckenridge Brewery, of course, the official beer of DNVR. Remember, supporting our partners is supporting us during this crazy time. Now, I am a Strawberry Sky person through and through. That is my brew of choice from Breckenridge Brewery. But if you can't make up your mind, if you want multiple flavors, if you like a little IPA, if you like a little uh, Colorado core that has some cider to it, if you uh, 
want to uh, porter our you know vanilla porter junior as we call it get that 15 can sample you can get it in a lot of places in colorado you can even get it delivered through drizzly and of course you can get it from our friends down at davidson's liquors in centennial and highlands ranch but let's say you want some food you just don't don't just want to drink you want to eat you want a good meal Check out the farmhouse down in Littleton. They're open right now. You are urged to get reservations. Make sure you set that in advance. If you go down to the farmhouse, 303-803-1380, you could, they'll also get you something to go if you want as well. From noon to 8 p.m., you can call that number, 303-803-1380, noon to 8 p.m. for pickup. You can get a nice meal, take it home. You can get some of those Breckenridge brews as well. And don't forget, if you're outside of Colorado or if you're in Colorado, Wherever you are in this country, you want to find out where you can get some of those delicious Breckenridge brews, go to the Breck Beer Finder at the Breckenridge Brewery website, and they'll take care of you. You can even find it in places like Wisconsin, Florida, New York, California, and you can get some of that delicious strawberry sky that helped me through a very rough night in my baseball fandom Monday night for the Braves. Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. Oh, Mace, I'm so sorry to hear about your ace. What a bummer. Maybe uh, a Breck beer can help, and maybe talking to the listeners can help as well. So Maybe it can, but 2020 is going to 2020. I mean, oh that, when God, that ha- when I saw that he couldn't put weight on his on his right foot, and he, it's one of those where I didn't want to speculate publicly, but it, it, you, you know what an Achilles rupture looks like. So you knew right away. I, I knew. Great. We're gonna we're not gonna see you again until at least next June, Mike. Damn oh, I mean, we no. we have one functional picture in our rotation right now. I mean, Rockies oh. fans, they're understandably giddy because they're getting great starts from Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland and Senzatella. I mean, it's it's looking deep, it's looking great. And last night my Braves ran Max Freed out there, and he's the only quality picture. And now the rest of the days, we are just crossing our <laughs> fingers and praying, man. We're going to have to – they're going to have to win a lot of 10-9 games or 11-10 games right now. I mean, this is going to be brutal. Well, man, that would be fun it, for a fan. 10-9? Yeah, it's fun if you like exploding scoreboards and all that. And if <laughs> – and if you like heart attacks, absolutely. I mean, they've. But then again, the lineup has a lot of pop. They've already come back from eight-two down. They they won against the Mets last Friday, eleven to ten, which was the first time in over three years that they'd won a game when allowing ten or more runs. So you know, we'll see. Ah, speaking of eight-two, uh, that is the Colorado Rockies' record best start in franchise history. They're just gonna they're gonna finish the season on this pace and be an eight hundred win team. Start making those NL West champions hats, shirts, everything. Think it well. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. But wouldn't it be crazy if the Rockies win the NL West for the first time in their 28 season history in this 60 game sprint? Yeah, it would be. It really, and that that would just make so much Rockies sense because they've gone on incredible streaks. They can start hot. They of course finish very hot in 07 with rocktober man that would be it would be such a rockies thing to do but of course there'd be there'd be no asterisk with there in colorado that's for sure all right mace let's hop into the questions from the listeners and before we do want to give a shout out to our our friend uh and family member here at dnvr caleb he's he's got a family funeral today so we're thinking of you caleb Mm -hmm. thinking of you and your family uh and we can't wait for you to be rolling with us again um, so first one coming in from Broncos guy 63. 
I don't know what it is, but Cortland Sutton's hair has always made him look soft, for lack of a better term, in my opinion. Just watched his interview with Rapshi and couldn't help but think he looks so much more intimidating. I know this doesn't matter whatsoever to his play, but I hope he keeps the do-rag going throughout the season, LOL. Thanks for your time, fellas. I'll keep it short. Yeah, you know what? I have never given Cortland Sutton's hair an iota of thought until no. now. <laughs> I'll admit that. I haven't either. And man, oh. when he started his uh, interview with us yesterday, I think for the first question, he had his mask on still. And yes. the do-rag with the mask, man, he looked, he looked intimidating. I'll give you that. Now, later on today on the DMVR.com, I'll have a piece of focusing on Sutton, but also talking about all the things the Broncos are doing to try to adapt in this pandemic. He had, a, he had some pretty good insight into what things are like in the meetings, what things are like on the practice field, and even uh, some of the cool things that Zach Azani did to keep his receivers I- interested and involved in the meetings in the offseason. So check that out on the DMVR.com later on Wednesday, Mile High Magic 94, seen something very coincidental Monday night. I listened to you guys hear the news break on the Jawan James opt-out, and, be- and you began to describe it as a curse at right tackle. Then later that night, I'm scrolling through Bleach Report, and I see an article from Mile High Huddle. It's titled something along the lines of Jawan James opt-out, another Bron- example of the Broncos curse at right tackle. Just curious what type of, e- of etiquette media have with each other for poaching or stealing ideas and thoughts without giving credit. <laughs> well, funny you say that because uh... – uh, there was uh, something along these lines with our uh, rugby coverage this morning. And if it's uh, a scoop, you got to credit the person. If it's something like that, if it's an idea like this, I mean, it's, it's just, unfortunately, it's going to happen, uh, especially when, you know, we're talking to players not every single day. These things are going to happen. Um, but I, I would say it does happen fairly often. If someone has a good idea, they put it out, and a couple of days later, you'll see someone else uh, talk about it. Yeah, and I, I would say this also. Um, sometimes it's just something that's obvious that multiple people are going to have it. It's not that one was right. copying from the other. I mean, look, I do not read everything else that is written about the Broncos. Oh, can't. I mean, there's so can't. much there, coverage. Exactly. And so sometimes you're going to have some similarities just because it's a little bit obvious. Uh, right. So, uh, so I, I would, there's nothing to it. And there's some good guys over at Mile High Huddle as well. So, you know, I, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't think anything of that. I think it's just a case of great minds thinking alike and fools seldom differing. Agree. Agree. Mark IT Snatch says, hey, guys. Per your post about the or per your pod about the XFL partnering with the NFL to develop an official minor league system, what if the NFL reached out to make the same effort with the CFL and the LFA in Mexico? Would that give the NFL twenty that would give the NFL twenty six teams to start with? If they invest in expanding to ten in each and twelve in the XFL, you can have a developmental team for each NFL team. Thoughts? Okay, here's why it won't happen, and it starts with the CFL. Um, There has been some reluctance for the NFL to expand into Canada and some pushback, even when the Bills played a handful of games in Toronto. And that is because of people on both sides who want to preserve the unique nature of the Canadian game, as in 12-on-12 multiple guys in motion, including one in motion uh, at full speed at the line, going to the line of scrimmage as the snap happens. You've got 
Of course, it's a 110-yard field from goal line to goal line. Instead of you have a, a center line that's basically the 55-yard line. It's wider. It, the field is wider. It services a different skill set a little bit. And it, Canadian football has its own kind of unique trajectory in how it developed. And the thought is that if they tried to play, if they ever did connect, merge, or if the NFL pushed the CFL out, the worry is that the Canadian, the unique Canadian game would die and all sides want to preserve it. By the way, one of the people who really wanted to preserve the integrity of the CFL, make sure that it survived and the NFL didn't encroach on it was the late Pat Bowen, who uh, lived in Edmonton for quite a while and uh, was very attached to Canadian football and was an advocate of the CFL. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. Speaking of the CFL, may shout out to Deontay Spencer, Broncos' mm-hmm. own, for being – uh, was he a finalist, or did he actually get all-decade returner in the CFL? Um, I don't know. I didn't see that. Well, congratulations to him. And, Mace, another reason why I just don't see it happening is I think it would mean that the NFL would then own these teams and have to pay them, and then that's a, that's a financial burden on these NFL teams. Why would they do that? Why would they have a minor league system and have to pay for that when they're probably not going to get money from that when they don't need to, when they have college football, when they have these leagues paying for themselves already? Yeah, and I think that's the thing. The college football is a system that works for the NFL. Now, that being said, I do wonder if one of the things that has altered out of the pandemic is – the structure of college football and if this does lead to a minor league mm. everything's on the table at this point and we see in ba- in basketball how you can have a minor league in the NBA and also have college basketball continue to flourish and continue to be a viable product yeah. i think there's a way to pull it off for, for the NFL as well and i think the and the other thing is go back to the NFL Europe days when teams would send over viable quarterback prospects to NFL Europe and you had a stretch of time around the turn of the century where you had Kurt Warner, Jake DeLone, Brad Johnson all going from NFL Europe to the Super Bowl. It yeah, provided that's... another way of developing quarterbacks beyond just having to hit at the top of the draft. Now if Drew Locke hits that's wonderful but that goes against the grain for second round picks. So it is. I, I like the idea of getting something developed and also Offensive linemen as well. You need a way to better develop offensive linemen and teach them the techniques they need to succeed in the NFL. And that's where a minor league could also help. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, I know college high school or Colorado high school football is certainly not college football, but Colorado high school football yesterday was just pushed back from the fall until March and April Mm -hmm. in the spring. So Probably not necessarily a sign of what's to come for college football, but very, very interesting that that's starting to happen. Right. And uh, now we also had a, an FBS program that canceled its season today. Yeah. Connecticut. University of Connecticut. Now, one thing to note, UConn left the AAC, so the, they are an independent. So scheduling was an issue here in their decision to opt out use that term again, of the 2020 season. But uh, we're, we're, we're still in some perilous times here. And, of course, uh, you have 
conflicting reports on what's been going on at CSU in regards to dealing with the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of chaotic right now. I'm, I'm still skeptical about college football happening. Yeah. Yeah. Me, me as well. Hope it does, but man, we'll, we'll see. Mark IT snatch continues and says, as for the best game, we look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's thin for how new the team is, but interesting for both Denver and Tampa Bay. We can easily point to the 97 dominant playoff win as the best game. But are there any others that come to mind? And Mace, does it get any better than the 2015 back and forth game for the Bucks? Yeah, that's the one. And Jameis Winston was a rookie that year and came up pretty big in that contest with the Bucks winning 38-31. to And Jameis, uh, he was efficient, 13-19 for 209 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Doug Martin, I believe, had a couple of scores as well. Uh, Blake, Blake Bortles actually had a nice game as well, and I've, I'm really hard on Blake Bortles, but uh, he had over 300 yards. He had four touchdowns. For, so for Bucks jaguars it's either that game or they played a game in Jacksonville's first season in 95 where the Bucks stopped the Jags on a two-point conversion to preserve a 17-16 win in Tampa. So it's one of those two games. Now for the Broncos and the Jaguars. Okay. I think a game that jumps out to me, it's an obvious one, but it's the start of the revenge tour in 1997, end of the year, wild card round Broncos absolutely throttle the Jaguars 42, 17 at mile high. And then another game, Mile High Stadium, the following season, Jason Elam ties the then NFL record with the 63-yard kick right before halftime against those same Jags. So uh, some memorable stuff from uh, the time when the Broncos ruled the world and the Jaguars were at their peak. That was a really good Jaguars team. We're going to forget about the, the, wild, the, the divisional round game in January of 97. That's probably the greatest game in Jaguars history. That's one the Broncos truly want to forget. <laughs> yes, you're right about that. And maybe the boo when the Broncos offense was booed off the field at halftime oh. <laughs> when uh, they were beating the Jaguars at home, but of course, Mace, what were they, a 21-and-a-half-point favorite or something, 28? Yeah, I think it was 20, 26 to 28. It was ridiculous. I think a lot of people had money on the Broncos, and <laughs> they end up winning the game, but won by a relatively modest 35-19, uh, <laughs> modest compared to expectations. You know, the Jaguars have given the Broncos fits, in, including those playoff games, Zach. The Jaguars actually lead the series. Seven to six. Wow. Over the years. I remember the game in 04 in Jacksonville, and the Broncos are driving to what should have been a game winning Jason Elam field goal. They're down seven to six, and Quentin Griffin fumbled, mm-hmm. and the Jaguars recovered in the last minute, and the Broncos lost. That, that's one of those defeats that still irks me and actually it was kind of the beginning of the end for Quentin Griffin as well yeah man and if he would have held on and Elam kicked the game winner then the Broncos would lead the series that's true (laughs) that's very true the other thing of course is that the first game of the Tebow era not as a starter but just being on the roster was in Jacksonville his hometown week one of 2010 and a couple of things I remember first of all 
They tried the wild horse package that day. Didn't really work all that well. Wasn't that memorable. Second of all, there were a, a bunch of fans that I saw on the concourse of the stadium in Jacksonville that were wearing shirts that on the back said, Tuck Feebo. Oh, my gosh. And I – and I talk with a few of them. I'm like, okay, why are you wearing this shirt? And they're like, hey, it's not that we have anything against Tim Tebow personally, but we are sick of everyone wanting Tim Tebow to be a Jaguar. We can love <laughs> Tim Tebow as a local fan, as, some, as someone who grew up here. We love him for that reason, but we don't want him to be the Jaguars quarterback. Okay. And they they kind of resented the fact that people thought of Jaguars fans as this – group of mouth breathers that wanted Tebow so desperately to wear teal. Interesting. So, Interesting. you know, you, you peel back an onion, you always find a lot of, a lot of layers. The other thing, do you remember how Josh McDaniels was caught ripping Richard Quinn? Right. In, in that game. And you could re, and some magnificent so-and-so decided to, have it have a doctored voice that sounded like a cross between like a, a digital voice and a chipmunk and said, you know, Hey, hey get quit. And then it did, it did the whole, and did the whole thing based on what on the, on the lip reading. And it was phenomenal. <laughs> and it was hilarious. And it made me smile during those dark days of covering a Josh McDaniels led team. <laughs> oh boy. We needed some of that. That's for sure. <laughs> the Manning face God says, Hey guys. So I really do think Von Miller is going to have a historic year this year. There really is something different about him. He's saying and doing all the right things, and you want your superstar players to do that. Hearing him wanting to be like Kobe or MJ of this team should show what might set or what should show what might set he's had all what mindset he's had all off season. From all the working out he's done, the guy looks like the Hulk running out there. I definitely think he's going to be the X factor on the defense. Also. With the help of Casey and Chubb, Vaughn is going to wreak havoc. Heck, I'll even go as far as saying he'll be a defensive player of the year candidate and possibly win it. I can't wait for this season to start. Thanks, guys, for all that you do, and have a great day. I, I salute your optimism, and I'm not going to try to hold anybody back. That said, I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be a defensive player of the year. I just expect him to be the Vaughn Miller that he should be, and I expect him to have 14 sacks. Man, if he's in the DPOY conversation, that would be dope. Pretty much that'd DPOY. Be, that'd be pretty awesome. Onion Town links. The game. Roster creation. The rules. Each player must have won few significant games, no Super Bowl appearances, preferences, less success in the playoffs. Also, they have to have had playing time in the 2010s. Continue in coach's voice of desire. I introduced the like, good, you but you, but you ain't done. Bleep football team <laughs> at quarterback the highest performing playoff trash fired only the president nfl phil rivers backed up by james winston running back adrian peterson future hall of famer at tight end jason witten also future hall of famer wide receivers one and two deandre hopkins and odell beckham jr offensive line joe staley joe thomas zach martin kevin zeitler marquise pouncey okay time out here on joe staley he did i believe play in a super bowl <laughs> He did. And uh, was part of two teams that got the Super Bowls. Yeah. So. <laughs> Good call there. And you're bringing Joe Thomas out of retirement? Well, he played in the 2010s. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. So, all right. On defense, our line is led by age rushers Cameron Wake and J.J. Watt. Also, the interior starters are Geno Atkins and then Dominican Sue, known as the Nasty Streak. At linebacker, our trio includes Keith Bullock, really qualified by playing in 2010, Julian Peterson, again, 2010, and Sean Lee. Finally, our secondary corners, Patrick Peterson and Jonathan Joseph, are joined by Harrison Smith and Jairus Bird at safety. Damn, why did I do this? That took way too long. <laughs> and anyways, how might you construct your team? Tomorrow I have an even greater task waiting for you. Sorry for that, Links. Man, this was fantastic. I loved it, and Mace, you executed it perfectly. Um, the, the, the gruff southern coach, I, that's what I was going for. It was perfect. Man, I really like everything, except for quarterback. I, right now, I may go Lamar Jackson. Ooh. I think he fits that. No real significant wins. Few significant Not yet. Games. No they're coming. They're coming though with Lamar. Oh, I agree. I they're agree. coming. I'm not I think worried about him. Obviously, different style, but I think Lamar Jackson's lack of early playoff success in a few years, we're going to look at it in the same way we look at the fact that the Colts lost the first three postseason games they played with Peyton Manning at quarterback. Mm, right, right, and it's just not going to matter much. Right, it'll be like, oh well, he just took a while to get going. Right. It, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also really he was only the guy last year. I'm not putting the playoff last year before really on him, even though he wasn't very good, but as a rookie, I'm not going to blame him for that. I mean, I look at some of these guys and I say, boy, they just, they were cursed by the team. They went by, by the team they went to. I mean, right. Patrick Peterson's a great cornerback, but he got stuck on Arizona, which had some good years, but couldn't get, quite over the hump um yeah joe thomas is in my opinion a top five all-time left tackle without a doubt and he had he was part of one winning season with cleveland yeah yeah just so sad for him <laughs> yeah it's it's really i mean really unfortunate because joe is going to be a first ballot hall of famer when his name comes up and yeah. he's the best he the best tackles that I've seen since the great Anthony Munoz in the 1980s for the Bengals are Joe Thomas and Tony Baselli. Mm. Thomas, he got to 10 years, so I don't think he's going to have the trouble that Baselli got had get, has had getting in the hall. Baselli only played seven years, but my goodness, was he a beast? That's our second Jaguars reference of this <laughs> podcast. Baselli was incredible. Yeah, yes, he certainly was. Could not get around him. Love Thunder Down Under checking in. Well, I fell in love with the Avs a few years ago, and now I'm afraid I'm getting Rockies fever. I've played baseball as a kid, so I've always had an itch for hitting pitches, but haven't watched in a long time. Dad got me a Louisville Slugger from the States and brought it back home for me. Bleep. That was sick. I was the only eight-year-old kid in Australia with a wild wooden bat. In saying that, I don't know the Rockies team well, Reed, at all. So help me out here, gents. The game is Von Miller is to pass rushing what blank is to batting. Mm. We got to go Nolan. I mean, the best. Yeah, Nolan or Charlie. Charlie Black, one of those two. 
Okay. More, oh, yeah. more like the reason I'm going to say Nolan is I'm, is I'm also going to expand it beyond batting and say that Nolan makes some plays in the field that make you go, wow. And sometimes when you watch Vaughn Miller with that bend that he has off the edge and how he keeps his speed, you're just like, how do you do that? And yeah. Vaughn and Nolan both share that ability to make your jaw drop. You're absolutely right. Drew Locke is to the future as blank is to the future. Ooh. Um, wow. Yeah, this is tough. We're seeing glimpses, and, and I think it's a little bit different because this guy has an injury history and, and Drew Locke doesn't. But uh, when we see glimpses of David Dahl and how good he can be, I think that's something to, I think yeah. that, that's the comp. I like that a lot. I may go Kyle Freeland. Now, of course, it's mm-hmm. not a perfect comp because Kyle had a fantastic rookie season. And what you hope Drew doesn't have a dismal oh. second season. If Drew has that this year, he's probably not going to get another chance like Kyle's getting. Exactly, because you don't, it's, you don't have a quarterback rotation. It's one guy. And if, if Drew plays 2020 like Kyle Freeland played 2019, then in 2021, your quarterback is coming from the draft, yeah. free agency, trade. Yeah. Not on this roster. Right. Because <laughs> Freeland, I mean, Freeland got sent down to Albuquerque. Yeah. Triple ABQ. Uh, he was an isotope for a while. And he struggled with the isotopes. Yes, he did. It Last was, year. I mean, it was as bad as it could be. There was understandable nervousness about Kyle Freeland when this season started. And I think every, I think even some people in the Rockies front office are still crossing their fingers when he goes out there every night. But he's delivered so far. I totally agree. And final one, Garrett Bowles is to holding as blank is Ooh. to. Um, man, like uh, a bad thing that you can count on. Is that kind of what we're, what we're saying? Daniel Murphy is to ticking off gay people because he's had some statements that have uh, understandably uh, rubbed the LGBTQ community badly yeah yeah but i like the but i like the way that the the community and and a lot of rockies fans responded by turning what he did into a way to raise money for some pretty good causes as well so i agree i turning into a positive so there we go We'll, we'll go with that one he says teach me go iceman go america go vegemite and beep marmite (laughs) there we go and yes go iceman we're thinking about you yeah we'll have a little conversation about Marmite here at the end of the week, I think. Dan Burke, something got me thinking. I know it's a small sample size, but I think we can comfortably say Drew managed to elevate talent on the team last year. He made guys like Garrett Bowles, Deshaun Hamilton, Andrew Beck, et cetera, look better than they did with the other two QBs. I went back and looked at some of his college teammates. I think the same was true of him back then. Jamon Moore was a multi-year thousand-plus yard receiver with Drew. He ended up getting drafted in the fourth round. Since then, he got cut by his original team as now a practice squad guy in Cleveland. Yasir Durant was one of the best left tackles in college football when protecting Drew's blind side. Uh, eight total pressures in 2018, which led the SEC. When Drew moved on, he really struggled and ended up undrafted. Albert O was projected to be a top 50 player when he was playing with Drew. Without Drew, he ends up falling to the fourth round. Emmanuel Hall was considered a day two player based off what he showed with Drew. Granted, there were some character concerns with him, but he went undrafted and hasn't been able to stick with an NFL team. has been cut from three different teams now. The great quarterbacks in the NFL can elevate their teammates and make them look better than they actually are. 
I understand it's still limited sample size, but it just but does this give you all some confidence that Drew can be one of those guys who makes subpar players look good? Yeah, Dan, you always do your homework, and this was a, a great comment. It's a fantastic point, and uh, you know I can't help but look at your name, Dan, with that emoji there, and think, man, can he raise Calvin Anderson's level of play? where he can maybe be a starting left tackle for the Broncos. Oh, you went there, didn't you? <laughs> yep, had to. Oh, my. I what do you Broncos. think, uh, I think there's something to that. It's actually something I was thinking about a few weeks ago, about, like, Jamon Moore in particular, I thought was me a better pro than he turned out to be. And you start looking back and realizing just how – much of Mizzou's success was because of Drew Locke and nothing else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a good point there that you make, Dan Brook. IG Bronco Sensei. Yo, guys, I heard Mace the other day on Broncos Country tonight, and I thought it was amazing. I think you guys need to get Ryan Edwards and Benjamin Albright on your pod, although I don't know if the listeners could handle all that talent at once. So now my (laughs) question, if you had to pick a Bronco to hang out with for a few hours, who would it be? I'd have to pick Von Miller or Shannon Sharp. I feel they'd be the most entertaining. Thanks for your time. Sensei speaks. There's only one choice for me. Steve Atwater. Ah, I love it. Yes. Because I have hung out with him for hours at a time, and I enjoyed it. And we enjoyed each other's company. So I'm going to go with the bird in the hand that I know that I'm going to have a good time with, and that's Steve Atwater. You can't go wrong with that one. And being able to have hung out with him as well for a few hours, multiple times, Mace, it's, it's such a treat every time mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that I get that opportunity. Um, another one, Peyton Manning. I mean, you, you know he's going to be entertaining. It's going to be a blast. You're going to learn something. You're going to laugh. Uh, I think that's the easy choice. I think with Peyton, it would, with me, it would devolve into quoting 80s movies. <laughs> like Fletch and National Lampoon's Vacation and Caddyshack and so forth and we'd probably be trying to one-up each other <laughs> man I want to be a uh, fly on the wall for that that's for sure oh man <laughs> anyway oh, before we move on want to tell you about our coverage of the Colorado Raptors of course you may have heard us mention there are some big things happening in the Colorado rugby space and DNVR Raptors is all over it. Reporter Colton Strickler is keeping up to date on all things American rugby with the DNVR Rugby Podcast. You can also find his written content on site with the rest of our coverage. Recently just announced that Infinity Park in Glendale will be the new official training center for the men's and women's USA Eagles 15s teams. That means that Colorado is the place to be for rugby in the United States. So make sure you keep up to speed with us and Colton on the DNVR Rugby Podcast. And, of course, this summer it's been a good time to learn rugby. Colton's been doing his Rugby 101 podcast to break down the game with you. Game game with you. I've listened to them. I've learned a lot. I've become a fan of Super Rugby down in New Zealand, in part because I've listened to Colton and what he's been telling you about the game. I understand it more than I ever have, and it's a lot of fun. It's, a good, it's another sport to add to your portfolio as a fan. Of course, Colton is also going to bring you some one-on-one interviews with some of the biggest names in American rugby. Download the DNVR Rugby podcast and follow along at DNVR Rugby on Twitter. Another sport you can add to the repertoire is some golf 
on WGT Golf. Of course, it is the best and most popular golf app in the world. And so, how can you not only play WGT, but play WGT with this wonderful DNVR community? We'll go to dnvrgolf.com to download WGT Golf app. And make sure you do it on dnvrgolf.com. That, that lets WGT know that you want to play with us. Once you've downloaded the app, go into Clubhouses and search for DNVR3. That's DNVR, then the number three, and join that Clubhouse. Then you'll be entered in with over the 500 members that we already have, and you'll get access to all of our tournaments and everything going on. The awesome thing is you can participate in our weekly tournaments once you're in one of our clubhouses with DNVR3 being the one that's open right now. But you can also play with it during the week. You can play against members of this community. And I absolutely love the game because it's so realistic and because you can play real courses like St. Andrews and Pebble Beach. So make sure to go to dnvrgolf.com, join the DNVR3 clubhouse, and do it before this weekend because we got another tournament coming right up for you. Moving on, Count Locula, who says over under 9.9 sacks for number 99. Love the count. That's, <laughs> that's easy, though. It's the under. He's only had double-digit sacks once. That was all the way back in 2013, I believe. Yes, 2013, 10 and a half sacks. The thing, I think what you can expect from Jarrell Casey in terms of sacks, five to seven, which is right where he's been for the last six years. Exactly. That's exactly where he's going to be. And it's pretty amazing that his, that his floor is where Derek Wolf's ceiling has been, where Malik Jackson's ceiling has been. That's really his floor throughout his career. And yesterday, Von Miller said uh, that the chemistry between the two of them is instant. Now, we know that Derek Wolf and Von Miller had a fantastic chemistry. Von Miller gave a lot of credit throughout his career to Derek Wolf for, be able, for being able to get all the sacks that he has. And he said that he's already feeling that with Jarrell Casey. And Jarrell Casey should be an upgrade to Derek Wolf, even for Von Miller, especially if that chemistry comes right away. Pig Tosser 66 chiming in says, haven't commented much since my recovery from COVID-19, but have finally been feeling back to normal six weeks later. Jeez, Pig Tosser. I'm so sorry that it took that long, but we're very, very glad to hear that you're finally feeling back to normal. Hope you three and the rest of the DNBR fam are healthy and being safe. This is real. Trust me on that. Well, we certainly trust you, and man, I, I'm certainly taking every precaution that I can, uh, but thank you for the reminder. Just a quick question comment today. With Elway thinking the offense needs a little time and the defense will need to carry the team for a little, why not sign Jadavian Clowney to a one-year deal with the money we got back from Juwan James's opt-out? Clowney on this defense? Top three would now be likely for that side of the ball, and Mr. Mahomes will have something to worry about. Man, I love the thought of this, and in fact, I was talking to my good friend Lewis about this just before this podcast, and uh, it's hard. It's hard not to be tempted into signing Jadavian Clowney. Mace, what would you think about the Broncos signing Jadavian Clowney to a one-year deal using all of the money that you got from Juwan James opting out? Muted! <laughs> you had to give me that. I appreciate it. Oh, it's been a while. You haven't done a muted in a few days here. I haven't. You've been impressive. Yeah, that was for you. Um, 
because you can take the cap space and carry it over, and effectively you're going to have to pay, you're going to have to pay um, Jawan James off of, off of that. I'm not making that move because you're going to be tight on the cap next year at 175 million dollars. That's the as low as it'll go. But you have three teams that have said no fans in person. I think we're going to see more teams say no fans in person as uh, the next few weeks go down. So I don't expect that cap to be much more than $175 million. And because of that, you need that carryover that you're going to have from the space created by Jawan James. So it's a hard pass for me. It's, it's tempting for me, but you just it would not be the smart financial move to do. You do carry that money over for Jawan James next mm-hmm. year so that you don't have to account for that with the cap situation that you have going on. And Mace, also, if this were a team that, w- that was a Super Bowl contender this year, then you think about it even more. And then you think, well, maybe we go for it all this year and hurt ourselves next year by not having that $13 million. But you're just not there. You may be a year or two away from that, but you're just not there yet. So I don't think you can do it. Yep. Speaking of the offensive line, the Danimal chimes in. Holy hell, James has finally signaled the beginning of the end. Bowles are new Mad Max, the lone survivor in a post-apocalyptic world, roaming the barren wastelands of the NFL with his loyal dog played by Philip Lindsay looking for food and someone to give an aggressive hug to. This is what we get for doing those damn TikTok dances, I warned you. But I was thinking this, if you're going to have like a, an old lineman who's a survivor and his dog, wouldn't it be Dalton Reisner carrying Philip Lindsay? <laughs> yes, over the goal line it certainly would be as he's wearing overalls yeah over by the way overalls straw hat and sunglasses magnificent <laughs> with nothing underneath the overalls by the way yeah well that's i mean hey that's a that's a farming look man it is <laughs> it, it, dalton reisner is wiggins colorado to the core he is on a serious note, with James's cap space for 2020 now freed up, does that mean if we roll it over 2021, we are essentially getting James for free next year as his cap hit will be a zero sum? Well, yeah, we kind of mentioned that just a minute or so ago. You carry that over, and so basically it's, you're going to carry the space over, and basically that's what you're going to pay him from, and, and that's it. And it's just going to be it's, – it's one hand washes the other. It's kind of like Joe Flacco when right. you – you converted some of his salary to bonus, and so you kicked it. You kicked it over, but then you create space that you end up carrying over into 2020. So it all works out the same in the end in terms of the accounting of it. So, right, it's not gonna not gonna harm you. Pardon me. And on the same topic, if Monchak happens to unearth the next villain Villanueva this year, and we move on from James next year, does that mean we would actually save money when you had the 2020 savings? into the free cap space from cutting him and count it against the dead money hit. I don't know. Th- I, I think basically you, what would happen is if you cut him, you would basically napalm that carryover and then have some more dead money. So basically it's, you're still taking the hit. Jawan James is going to be a Bronco in 2021 unless they can train him. Exactly. And don't think they're going to trade him for a first round pick. No, it, it, it would be finding somebody who was desperate would take on that contract, but, the, but that's, that's all. Exactly. I'm not going to contribute to the chicanery of making ridiculous O-line suggestions that involve people like Mooty at tackle, but this may be a blessing in disguise. We just ripped the Band-Aid off. 
And in responding to the count's question yesterday about scheming to account for weak right side, the answer is yes, there are plays to account for weakness on the line. We've been doing the same thing on the left side for three years, LOL. I guess we will only run up the middle this year, face palm. Stay safe out there, everyone, and maybe stock up on ramen and crossbows because the apocalypse is upon us. Oh, wow, that's a happy way to uh, to end that comment. Uh, well, great points and questions there, Danimal. Mm-hmm. Jersey yep. Bronco says, my boys, I just finished listening to McChesney talking with Schlereth, and they did not seem confident in this offense at all. Schlereth really hammered home that despite the better stats down the stretch with Drew, Bulls was not any better. They also didn't sound confident in Shermer. Is Elway's tempering expectations take the better route for fans to take? Love from Jersey. Few things surprise me less than knowing that Matt McChesney, friend of the program, friend to all of us, and Mark Schlereth, a good dude, were not confident in Garrett Bowles. <laughs> right. McChesney has been understandably pointed in his criticism of Garrett Bowles and Mark Schlereth, as I think I mentioned on a podcast a few days ago, he told a story recently on 104.3 The Fan that about how he bumped into one of the officials in the Bears game when flying back from, a, from calling a game on the East Coast and said that the official admitted that they got to a point where they said, okay, we can't throw this flag on Garrett Bowles, even though he held. And presumably putting two and two together, uh, based on what we remember about that game, that's why Ron Leary got a holding penalty, even though he didn't hold on the play when Garrett right. Bowles did. And that was the game where Bowles had four holding penalties. It could have been five. That he, but it was interesting to hear Shoreth talk about the officials saying there's a point where you say, we can't call another penalty on this guy. Right. <laughs> you take pity a little bit, almost. But you that just is. say you, you can't do it. And the thing that alarms me is that Garrett Bowles' technique did not appreciably change just because Drew Locke got in the lineup. Drew Locke covered for him a bit. Yeah. Drew Locke's mobility helped, helped out. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about the tackle position right now I, at, at both sides. I'm not going to – I don't want to blow sunshine up, any, up anybody's you-know-what. I'm yeah. very nervous about the tackles. With, without a doubt. And just as nervous as I am about the tackles, I'm very confident about the inside of the line. But Mace, if you were to give me the option of having great tackles and very questionable interior play or great interior play and very questionable tackles, I'm taking the great tackles all day, every day. So the Broncos, unfortunately, just have it flipped. And now it's not just one tackle position anymore. It is two, and that that's you can't really scheme for every play both tackles. So also, what do you think then of, of Matt and Mark not being confident in Pat Shermer? Because I think we're all cautiously optimistic about Shermer, but if you go by the overall production of the offenses that he's had, it's 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 not like you're talking about Mike Marks running an offense uh, before the Rams made him head coach. It's not like it's a bunch of top five offenses here no, that Pat Shermer's cert- been running. It certainly isn't, and I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, credibility to that, just like there's credibility to two former offensive linemen talking about a current offensive lineman and not just looking mm-hmm. at stats, and, and that's something that I'm not going to discount either of those. Yeah, I know Matt and Mark both look at technique, and – 
whether you agree with them on everything or not, I, I always encourage people to listen to listen to what those guys are saying when it comes to the offensive line. I think uh, they've they've by hearing them, I've taken a different look at linemen just because uh, maybe they corrected a misconception that I had. Right. Right. So, and they're they're the professionals. Not only are they doing it now and grading it now, but yeah. they lived it throughout their whole life. Yeah, you're gonna have to scheme around the tackles a little bit, and maybe this is going to mean that we see fewer three wide sets, that we end up by necessity seeing a lot more two tight end sets. Yeah, absolutely. And Rob? maybe even some two back sets. I mean, maybe you maybe you've even got some plays, Zach, where you're going two tight ends, and you're going with Andrew Beck as a quasi fullback, right? As well, and one wide receiver if you're just trying to kind of settle things down a little bit. And yeah, yeah, there. There are, it's a concern that I have as far as the ability of this offense to maximize its weapons because the, the tackle position appears to be right now. It might be, it's, it's the, I think it's the weakest position group on the offense is the offensive tackles. I, I agree I th- without a doubt. And I would further argue it's the weakest position group on the entire roster. Completely agree, even without a doubt, Mace. And it doesn't matter if this offense is designed to throw the ball down the field all the time, uh, if Drew can only hold the ball for 1.7 seconds. It, then, then you're not going to be throwing the ball down the field. You're not going to see these weapons used. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to basically get the ball out quickly and concentrate on uh, – on, on short to intermediate stuff, which you can, you can work. This is where you start kind of accounting for the tackles in your game plan. And one way you do it is you get the ball out quickly. And this is where Melvin Gordon, a good receiving back becomes very valuable. It's where Jerry Judy's route running to create separation with a quick cut that becomes valuable too. And uh, Noah Fant, one thing he's already shown that he can do is get into the flat Make a make a play in space and make a guy miss and turn a little turn a five yard play into a fifty yard play. These are the elements that you might have to rely on. Yep, you're you're exactly right. Broncos, Sooners, New York Rangers. I hope I can slip this into the show, but I've had 24 hours with no power here in the Northeast. Wild Whoa. stuff, and it made me realize how attached my life is to electricity. Hope everyone from the storm is doing okay. Seems like it didn't do as much damage as they were expecting, which is great news, but I know it still did do a lot of damage, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you got power back. Yep, 100%. He goes on and says, Today I asked something simple. What is the most clutch moment by a Bronco not named John Elway or Peyton Manning? Jeremiah Castillos comes to mind, as does Rod Smith in Super Bowl 33. Tebow, of course, as well. But well, let's try to focus on other Broncos because we can probably do a top five clutch Tebow moments for 2011. Thanks for reading, guys. Yeah, I mean, when he said you can't go Peyton Manning or John Elway, I was going to go Tebow. <laughs> well, I'm going to go Vaughn Miller because remember when he has that strip sack of Cam Newton in the fourth quarter, the Broncos are only up 16-10, and the offense has done precisely bupkis for – about two quarter, two and a half quarters to that point. So you're nervous because if the Panthers finally managed to put it together and drive downfield and get a touchdown and go in the lead, I don't think there was a lot of confidence that Peyton Manning and company could drive back downfield and get a field goal. Well, Von Miller fortunately took care of that by getting the ball out from Cam Newton. Of course, Cam wanted no part of trying to dive into a stack of players for the recovery and the Broncos got it and 
C.J. Anderson closed out Super Bowl 50 with that touchdown run and then Manning the Benny Fowler for the two-point conversion. So that's a, that, that's a clutch play. Yeah. The way the offense was gasping and wheezing, you couldn't count on it getting a drive. That was the middle of that fourth quarter when Peyton Manning on third down checked down to a run on third and long. Right. You didn't that's- think that offense was going to do anything at that moment. So that's why that's the play that kind of jumps out to me because it basically sealed a title. Right. Yeah. And, and on the way to that title, I'll go with clutch performance, not necessarily one play. Brandon McManus 10 for Mm. 10 in the playoffs without that you're, you're not winning uh, those games. What about Benny Fowler making every, you know, breaking tackle after tackle on that determined catch and run from Peyton Manning in the fourth quarter of that Steeler game. Man, after Benny oh. dropped that pass from Trevor Simeon in, uh, what was it, week 16 of the 2016 week season? Week 14. Week 14. Yeah, of course, because that's your boy, Trev. Yeah, I just I, – I can't thank him. I, I, I can't give him credit. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, that's your objection. My objection on Benny Fowler is that he didn't go down at the one-yard line against Kansas City <laughs> a couple weeks before that. And I'll, yeah. I'll never forget a couple of days later, a couple of – there were at least two players who mentioned off the record how one thing that was missing with Peyton Manning out of that locker room is they said, hey – in that huddle, Peyton Manning would have been telling us, you get a big play, go down, because they're out of timeouts. Mm. And that yeah. was the sort of thing that, that they loved about Peyton was that he was aware of all those circumstances. But, you know, Trevi Trev was in his first year as a starter. Maybe Benny just didn't hear it. I'm sure Trev said it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so the good and the bad of Benny Fowler. For a guy who's really kind of forgettable, he has these memorable moments. I mean, he's, he's going to be one of those guys that people do recall for good and bad reasons, even though the balance of his career was really unremarkable. And he caught the last pass from Peyton Manning. Yep. Benny Fowler. <laughs> Answered a lot of trivia questions. And, and uh, Draymond Green's friend, too. That was another <laughs> thing about him. Yeah. All right. From the other Ryan. My boys. Thanks for the great coverage this week in breaking down the Broncos news and material that has been coming in waves the past few days now. What did y'all think of Bradley Chubb and what he said last week when asked about his expectations for the Broncos defense in 2020? Quote, I feel like we can be top five, top 10 for sure, unquote. The Broncos finished with a top five overall defense if blank. Have a wildly wonderful Wednesday. The NVR me salute. I actually asked Bradley that question. I didn't like the answer. Maybe some people loved it. This defense has to be a top 10 defense. I mean, gosh, those aren't very good expectations. Top five, you know, if they finish fourth, no one's going to be disappointed. But they're the number one paid defense in the league with uh, a rare defensive mastermind as their head coach. They have everything committed to the defensive side of the ball. They should absolutely be a top five defense. If they finish in the top five, even if they're fifth, it's not going to be a disappointment, of course, by any means. But Top 10? Give me a break. Yeah, top 10, I'm like, okay, fine. But my hopes are top five. Yeah. And if Chubb and Miller and Casey stay healthy and cornerback isn't besieged by injuries again, I don't think there's a reason why they won't be in the top five. Yeah. 
They, they very well should be. If you have Bradley Chubb and Von Miller with the secondary, the high, they have the highest paid safeties. They have the highest paid starting secondary. They have the highest paid outside linebackers. They have two top five picks invested at outside linebacker. Pretty, pretty darn good. Pretty big commitment there from John Elway. 100%. Hip, hip, your age. Greetings, gents. Must have missed the cutoff, so reposting here. Hey, guys. I know I may have an unpopular opinion on this one, but hear me out. I am all board the hype train for Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, but with the woes you guys have talked about for the right tackle position over the last decade and left tackle, why in the love of God have we not even drafted a developmental tackle in this year's draft? I know no one really saw this coming, but I just feel like we should have spent some of our higher draft picks on tackle. We all know wide receiver was extremely deep this year. And we could have potentially found some weapons for lock deep or deep for lock. Pardon me, but it don't mean nothing. If lock can't be in the pocket to deliver a ball to them. Also, we knew that James was unreliable when we decided to pay him. I certainly respect the man for opting out. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like the Broncos were just expecting everything to be fine at tackle and create no backup plan whatsoever. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? Maybe I'm just having a knee-jerk reaction here. Anyways, keep up the great work. Go Broncos and go DNVR. Good thing Ryan's not here. That is one of his pet peeves because he says that is not the definition of insanity, but I'm right there with you, hip hip you, Ray. And there's there's another thing to throw on top of that, hip hip you, Ray, is that the Broncos knew the tackle situation was not good. They knew it. John Elway admitted after the draft, literally just a few hours after the draft ended, he told us that the tackle situation has to improve from last year. Yet they didn't do anything to improve it. And right after the draft, and, and still to now, uh, I gra- graded the Broncos draft at an A minus. And there wasn't anything that I didn't like about the players that they got to make it an A minus instead of an A or an A plus. But it's what they didn't do. They didn't even throw me a bone with a tackle. That's all I needed. If they would have drafted a tackle in the sixth round, I'd be giving the Broncos an A for this draft. Even if a guy does nothing, it's just a a developmental guy to bring in to at least show that they're doing something at tackle. Now, ideally, um, you go Jerry Judy in the first round, without a doubt. If a guy's not there that you love in the second round, then you go KJ Hamler. I'm okay with both of those. Ideally, one of those third-round picks, specifically Ajim, I'm I'm trading for a tackle. Getting Mike Munchak, a day-two guy, to develop, then you feel better about the situation that you're in right now. So I'm 100% on board with you, hip, hip, you, Ray. Yeah, I look at Matt Peart being on the board, and no offense to McTelvin Ajim, but I think Peart could have helped you out. Yeah. Late in round three. That, that would have been my choice there. And, yeah, more of a developmental guy. But one thing to consider is that you go into each draft with an idea of what the draft class next year is going to look like. And sometimes you're saying, okay, this year it's great on receivers and the value is better. Next year looks like an all-time tackle class. Yeah. Not only at the top, but deep, going into multiple rounds. And sometimes you are saying, okay, let's see if we can get by here knowing that next year we've got a chance to get some really good value at tackle. Right. And then sort of just trying to make their way through this year. And your it dovetails with your needs. And uh, I actually said this on Twitter, responding to somebody last night. I'll say it here. Do not be surprised if two of the first four picks next year for the Broncos are offensive tackles. Mm, that would be very good. That would be very good and very needed 
as we're seeing right now. And Mace, last one. And before we get to the last one, just a friendly reminder, as we really start rolling into training camp the next 10 days to two weeks, we ask that you guys keep your comments a little shorter so that we can get to as many comments as possible. Obviously, when we're not talking to players in this next week or so, it's okay to have some longer comments. But once we roll into the season, especially training camp, we want to get to as many of them as possible. So shorter is better just to make sure we can hit all of them. But last one from Mr. Bezos says, when the news first broke about Juwan James, I was sad and desperate to fill that hole for the season. After sleeping on it, I think it could be an absolute blessing. Some quick facts and assumptions. One, I think most reasonable fans in Broncos country can admit to themselves we weren't a Super Bowl contender in 2020. For honest expectations, we hope for a year of growth for our developing young core, a winning season, and a possible playoff push with the expanded playoff. Even before this news, our real window always opened up in 2021, provided Drew is good. Two, I agree with you there. What first had me so distraught about James was where we were with contracts. For many teams, this $13 million cap windfall could make some noise, but not us. Simmons can't negotiate under the tag, so we can't pay him. We can't lock up elite young talent either. Chubb and Sutton are both entering year three, a season away from being able to get a new deal. The options for spending the money seem to be A, extend Bulls, B, extend Vaughn to smooth out the cap hit, C, burn it on somebody, someone, nobody who doesn't move the contention needle. Further, Lindsay and Alexander Johnson are both RFAs after this season, so they're basically out as well in terms of locking them down. Thus, we're kind of screwed. We don't have anywhere great to put the money. As such, I think the best solution by far is to let it ride. Roll over the nearly $13 million into cap into next year. Why? If you do that, James basically plays for free next season cap-wise. You'll be paying him with rolled over cap from the 2020 season. That opens up nearly $13 million in cap space, and next year we desperately need cap. One, it allows us to extend Sutton so we have him through the rookie deals of Judy and Hamler so we get a great receiving core. Two, we can lock down Chubb if he has a great 2020 season. Three, we can get a deal done with Simmons if he plays great and wants to be back. Four, any of those above players can hold out next season. Chubb and Sutton because they have their three years and Simmons doesn't and Simmons because he doesn't want to play on a second tag. Five, you can pay Alexander Johnson or Philip Lindsay if you need to match the RFA tender, and then decide to. $13 million in 2020 season is so, so, so much more valuable than the cap this season. Or we can just lie to ourselves and blow it on a journeyman that doesn't move the contention needle for us in 2020 and make the possibility that James' contract is a real albatross more likely as it moves forward a whole season along with the cap ramifications. I say don't spend a penny of that James cap in 2020. Roll it over. P.S. Middle fingers up to those who said we didn't need a tackle in the draft and or laughed at us in April for, for, for suggesting COVID-19 might have some ramifications on whether 300-pound men play the season so that it might be prudent to plan around that with 10 draft picks. Muted. But hey, 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 easy. 549 words there. A lot, a lot of good stuff there. Ooh. I mean, I would say this. I mean, I, I'm not objecting to the Broncos drafting general. I would have gone tackle instead of McTelvin Ajim just because Pierre, my, my guy, was on the board. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, did you mean that middle finger for me? And that's okay if you did. <laughs> but – 
I will say this. I think uh, I agree with you on how it, how COVID-19 and, and the effect that it had on linemen and the effect that it had on, on players of, of bigger frames. I think, uh, I think I'm kind of right there with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of over the whole thing of uh, uh, blaming the media and, and getting on us, those of us who are less than 100% optimistic about the ability to pull off the season uh, in, in this pandemic. I think uh, there's the notion that some of us don't want a season, which couldn't be further from the truth. We just want it to be a safe season. Exactly. Skepticism is okay. I, you know, but I've, 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 I've been targeted a little bit and I'm kind of pissed off, fr- frankly, about that, the, you know, that lumping me in with not wanting a season and saying a lot of us who cover football don't want a season just because we're skeptical about it. Yeah. I've, that's, I have a middle finger for people who feel that way too, because the notion that we are skeptical means that we don't want a season is farcical. I just don't want people dying. And as crazy as that is, it could be the truth. I don't want people dying so that, that there's football. Um, and we know these guys, Mace. We know the Broncos. We know the coaches. We know the players. And they're people. And <laughs> it, it, in the great ways and, and in the human ways, they're people as well. And so that, that's the only thing. If we can do it safely, 100% want football the Broncos doing a great job so far um, and just hope it trends to the NBA's safety instead of the MLB's safety and what's been going on there so uh, we are I mean come on Mace we talk about this every day we write about this every day this is our life of course we want it it's silly to say we don't want it and it's not just the safety of the players but also those that are near and dear to them because in football they're not going to be in a bubble they go home at night so, yeah. yeah, you know that's that that's a lot of where my concern goes as well is for the for those who are clo- for those who are close to the players and uh, the family and friends that they love. I don't want I don't want them to get this either. So yeah, I completely agree with you. And Mr. Bezos, I I completely agree with you as well. There's really nothing that you should do with that money other than roll it over, as Mason and I have been saying as well. And that'll do it for the comments. And before we get out of here, got to tell you guys about WGT Golf one more time. You know the trick, but for whoever's out there not pulling the plug yet, I want you to go to dnvrgolf.com right now. Download WGT Golf and join our DNVR3 clubhouse right now. WGT Golf is the most popular golf game in the world. It's also the official gaming partner of DNVR, and it's also my favorite game of the past decade. Over 20 million people around the world are playing it, and hundreds, hundreds in this community are playing it as well. It's awesome because you get to play real courses. You get to use real equipment, real golf balls, but... You also get to play against real people, whether it's a random person from around the world, one of those 20 million, or whether it's one of the hundreds in our clubhouse. You can play against them at any time. And of course, we have awesome, awesome tournaments every single weekend. So make sure you go to dnvrgolf.com, download WGT Golf before this weekend, and join that DNVR3 clubhouse. Well, that'll do it for us today on this Wednesday edition, getting you through hump day. For Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Thank you guys so much for rolling with us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a fantastic Wednesday.
Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit Toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places.